we are kicking off the year with a brand new series. I'm really excited about this called Bible Basics. And I want to tell you who this series is for before I get into what this series is about. One, if you have been intimidated by the Bible, and I get it, right? It's, um, it's kind of a big book. Uh, the pages are thin. The writing is small. If you've ever been intimidated by the Bible, I want you to know this series is for you. If maybe you're somebody who has uh, tried to read through the Bible in a year and come mid-January, you're already behind and you give up, this series is for you. If you're somebody who's familiar with the Bible, seasoned in the Bible, you've read it from cover to cover multiple times, you feel like you know the Bible, I want you to know this series is for you. And if you have never picked up a Bible, you've never opened it up to see what it has to say for yourself, first of all, I'm so glad you're here and honored that you're here. This series is for you. So that's what I'm saying. No matter where you're at, this series is for you. And my goal in this series is to strengthen the confidence that you have in God's Word. This book that we study together every single week. Now, the chances are pretty good. By the fact that you're here, you probably already have some confidence in God's Word. You, you probably already look to God's Word as a source of truth or comfort or, or hope, but maybe you don't know why you have confidence in God's Word. Maybe, you know, the reason you trust God's Word is because it's all you've ever known. Never been told any different? Somebody told you that? Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a, a teacher or a friend or a pastor. And they just said, trust God's word. And so you trusted God's word. And so that's awesome. Maybe the reason you've trusted God's word is simply because of what you've experienced in life thus far seems to line up with what you know about the Bible. Or maybe you've just never really opened it and so you've never had any questions for the matter. I'm not trying to suggest to you that those are bad reasons necessarily, but I do want to tell you that there's better reasons. That, that there is... Reasons that you can put your weight on this, that you can stand on this, that, that you can know that what's in here is from God for you. And we're going to do that over the next several weeks. I think I'm going to answer some questions that many of us have that may be like, why is that? Or how can I be sure or what does this really mean? And I'm not going to get into all those questions today. I really want this to be a bit of an overview, kind of a 30,000-foot view, but I'm going to give you some handles that you can take with you today. I want to help you know the Bible, understand the Bible, and apply the Bible, but more than anything, I want you to have confidence in the Bible. And here's why this is important, is because apart from this, we don't have a faith. Uh, apart from this, we don't have a hope. Uh, apart from this, what I'm trying to say is we all stake our salvation on the accuracy, authenticity, and authority of Scripture. So let's talk about this book. A couple quick facts that you might know, you might not know. The Bible is the most read book of all time. It is the 
best-selling book of all time, the most donated book of all time, the most stolen book of all time. It's interesting. In addition to that, it's also the most despised book in history, the most denied, the most outlawed, the most destroyed, the most banned. In many places today, there are places you could go in the world where it is still illegal and outlawed to carry a Bible. Why is that? Well, for one thing, it's proof that this is no ordinary book. It's proof that there's something special about this book. It's, it's proof that when people engage with the contents of this book, their life is impacted. Their life is changed. It changes the people who read it, and it reveals the truth about God, about the world, and about us. It's also the single greatest source of art, music, and architecture in the world. Like, if there was a way that you could wave a magic wand and remove the Bible from history, you would wipe out much of the last 2,000 years music, art, and architecture. No other book has influenced the world in the way that the Bible has. Now, oh, that's really fascinating, but what is the Bible, really? Well, before I get into it, I want to read just a verse of Scripture. It's always good to start with God's Word, and I'm going to uh, make it a point to bring my Bible with me every week in this series. I'm going to ask you to do that, but I'm going to read from it. And the tra- this, is, this was um, my Bible in college, so this is a big mamma jamma. This is what they call a preacher Bible because you can, like, hit somebody upside the head with it. And uh, it's, uh, it's very, again, it's old for me. It's fallen apart. Uh, this is from the New King James Translation. This is the theme verse for today this, in this series. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, this is going to be different than what's on the screen. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. Now let me read it from the contemporary English version. It says, everything in Scripture is God's Word. All of it's useful for teaching and helping people and for correcting them and showing them how to live. So here's a couple things you got to know. The Bible is not a history book. It does have history in it, but it's not a history book. The Bible is not a science book. Even though it has scientific principles, truths, thought in it, the Bible is not a textbook for learning. Even though you can study this and you can learn a lot from it, it's not a textbook. The Bible is not a self-help book even though it will help you very much. The Bible is not a book of philosophy and morals, even though it does teach us how to think and it does teach us how to live. The Bible is not merely a literary work to be read and admired. Even though it stands alone, 
in its writing, its compilation, its authorship, its content, and its impact. The reason I'm telling you that is though it may contain elements of all those things, that is not why the Bible was written. What is the Bible? Let me put it this way. The Bible is God's self-revelation to humanity. This is God's word revealing himself to humanity. It tells us who we are. It tells us our sin. It tells us of God's plan for salvation. The Bible is the written word of God. It reveals God's design for creation. It shows us his will. It shows us how to live. It shows us how to experience God's best. It's not really one book. It's a collection of 66 different books written over a span of 1,500 years by 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages with one unified theme. Now, if you don't think that's incredible, you've never tried to write anything. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, PhD students, you've just had a hard enough time getting your doctrinal thesis to sound unified. But the Bible, it's written over a span of 1,500 years, 66 different books, 40 different authors, three different continents, three different languages, different places, points in time, one unified theme. That would be like me tearing up a sheet of paper or handing a sheet of paper and asking you to tear it up. And when I get all the pieces together, it fits perfectly like a map of the United States. It's crazy to think that this could be so unified when it's written in the way that it was written. Well, why is it unified? Because even though there were different human writers, we recognize that there's one author, God. Now think about this. I mean, the writings of Confucius, written by Confucius, the writings of Buddha, written by Buddha. The Quran, written by Muhammad. The Bible stands unique in the way that it is compiled. And you may think, why am I stressing this? It's written by poets and prophets, princes and kings, sailors and soldiers, attorneys and physicians, written by businessmen and prisoners, all with one unified theme. Why does that matter? Here's the first thing you have to understand is that the Bible is not written to us, it's written for us. I know that might seem like semantics, but this is a very key principle in understanding the Bible. The Bible is not written to us, it's written for us. Let's look at our main scripture again in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, everything in the scriptures is God's word, all of it is useful for not saying it's God's word to you, it's, use, it's useful for. The Bible's written for us, not to us. The reason that's important is because however we interpret the Bible, the lens with which we view it is going to be how we interpret it. So if you're looking at this as God's word to you, you're going to miss out on the fact that it was written at a different time in a different culture. You were not even on the mind <laughs> of the author. You, it was not written to a, first, a 21st century person. It's an ancient culture. So you might think, well, okay, who was the Bible written to? Well, 
to understand that question, recognize it's written to a lot of different people, not any one single person or audience. Luke and Acts were written to a person named Theophilus. The epistles, those are the letters of Paul. They were written to different churches in different cultures at different times with very specific needs. Genesis was written to the nation of Israel. There were uh, other books of the law and the prophets which were written to the nation of Israel. The Psalms, when you look at that, that's a collection of books that really are not written to anybody. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all directed at different cultural audiences. The point is, the Bible was not written to you. No singular person. That's why whenever I preach to you, I'm always trying to give you the context of what was going on at this point in time when we look at a book together, we look at a scripture, what was going on when the author wrote this, what was going on with the people that they were writing to. It's so important to be able to interpret the Bible that way. It's not just written to different people. It is written in different ways. The, the Bible is not all written the same. There's poetry in here. There's narrative, there's historical writings, there's legal proceedings, there's bi biographical literature, there's prophetic literature, there's other literary methods employed. Why do I bring that up? Well, when you're reading the Bible, you have to understand that you're not gonna read poetry the same way you read prophecy. You're not gonna read a legal document the same way you read a letter from a friend. The, the Bible is, has different kinds of writing in it. And so the reason you need to know that is it's pointless to understand or it's pointless to know what's in the Bible if the Bible is not in you. That's the second thing I want you to get. It is pointless to know what's in the Bible if the Bible is not in you. So as we begin this series, there's a couple things I want to recommend. I want to ask, I know I've thrown out a couple challenges. First thing I want to ask, I want to ask you to bring your Bible to church. I think it's so important that everybody has a copy of the Bible. Now, if you've been coming to church here for any time at all, you know that the majority of my Bible reading I read on my phone. I think that is honestly one of the greatest ways to engage with God's Word because most of us always have our phone on us, and so that's how I read the Bible. But I think there's something powerful, too, about being able to hold the Bible, see where things are in context, not just on a screen, see how large something is. And so I want to challenge you, if you have a Bible, to bring your Bible to church with you over the course of this series, just every week for the next few weeks. I'm going to do it so you can, you can uh, call me out on that if you see me without one. Here's what I want to say, though. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put this QR code on the screen. I want you to, right now, make sure you get the Bible on your phone. The reason this matters, like I said, it doesn't, it's pointless to know what's in the Bible if the Bible is not in us. So as we go in this series and I talk to you about how it was written and what it means for us and answer some of these questions, if you're not putting God's word into your life. Everything I'm going to talk about is fruitless. Doesn't matter. Now, I thought about, okay, one thing we could do is we could go through a Bible reading plan together, but here's why I want you to get the, the QR code on the, that's on the screen on your phone. 
is because I want you to have a Bible reading plan for yourself. The reality is all of us are in different places. Some of us, this might be the year that we read through the Bible in a year. Maybe we've never done that before. Some of us might be on the verse a day plan, and that's okay wherever you're at. Some of you, you might need to engage in God's Word on a specific subject. The reason I wanted you to get that QR code is because on that, through that app, there are tens and tens of thousands of plans that you can type in a subject and say, I, I need to know God's Word, what it says about anxiety. I need to know what it says about peace. I need to know what it says about healing. I need to know what it says about dealing with this relationship issue. I need to know what it says about finances. I need to know what it says about habits. I want you to find a plan to engage with God's Word. And as we're going through this series, begin to get God's Word in your life. Here's why it matters. There was a study done by the Center for Bible Engagement, and they surveyed over 40,000 people from 8 years old to 80 years old, and they were looking at how people engage with God's Word and the impacts that it has on their life. And here's what was interesting. They found that a person engaging one time a week it really had little to no effect on their life. It's kind of sad, kind of discouraging for me to think that, you know, I'm giving you God's word, and uh, if this is the extent that you get, it might not have an effect on your life. It was the people that had engaged with God's word two times per week. They found it had little to no effect on their life. When they looked at people who engaged with God's word three times a week, they started to notice something, just a slight change, a slight pulse. But something happened when people began to engage with God's Word at least four times a week. It was a seismic shift, a spike of what happened in their life, and they, they listed out these results. People who engaged the Bible at least four times a week, not the extent, not are you reading chapter, just could just be a verse of the day. You're engaging with God's Word. This is what it said. They were feeling lonely. That feeling lonely dropped 30%. Anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped 40%. Alcoholism dropped 57%. Sex outside of marriage dropped 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. Viewing pornography dropped 61%. Sharing your faith jumped 200%. Discipling others jumped 230%. All amazing benefits of reading the Bible. God's Word will change your life. But again, we're not supposed to read it as a self-help book. We should read God's Word because it's God's Word, to, it's God's word that He uses to conform us to His image. So, let me real quickly just talk about the Bible and its inspiration and authority. There are literally hundreds of scriptures that we could look at to develop a theology of scripture. But I want to look at a few here uh, in the time we have just to help us. Starting with Peter. Peter, you probably know, was one of Jesus' disciples, arguably one of Jesus' most famous disciples. He was the first preacher at Pentecost, after Jesus had died and rose again, he preached to 3,000 people, and they made a decision to follow Jesus. They were saved. They were baptized. That's Peter. Peter was the guy who 
denied Jesus and later would be used mightily by God. Well, Peter wrote two letters, and in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he says this. First, you must understand this. How did Peter view Scripture? He says, you must understand this. No prophecy in Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. No prophecy ever originated from humans. Instead, it was given by the Holy Spirit as humans spoke under God's direction. So get this. What he's saying is, he's talking about the Old Testament books, particularly the, the prophets, saying when they spoke, this wasn't just them in the moment. The, the, the prophecies in the Bible, the, the books of the prophets, it's Isaiah and Malachi and all these different books. When they wrote, saying they didn't just originate this in their mind. They didn't just think this up. It wasn't of human origin. But he also says that what they wrote wasn't just dictated by God either. It wasn't like they lost all uh, cognizance in their mind. He says, no, it didn't originate from humans. Instead, it was given by the Holy Spirit as humans spoke under God's direction. So they didn't lose sight of the fact that they knew what was going on or that they didn't go into some trance and start writing things down. No, they, they had full cognizance of what they were doing, but they were moved, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And when he's talking about the prophets, he's really referring to the whole authority of the Old Testament. The prophets is one of the categorizations of the Old Testament scripture. There's the law and the prophets. Well, what's interesting, though, is Peter, he didn't just put his testimony to the Old Testament and its authority. He would also go on to say the same thing about the writings of Paul. I don't think I have this one on the screen, but let me read it to you. It's 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. When writing this letter, he said, Meanwhile, I want you to consider that God's patience is meant to be man's salvation. As our dear brother Paul pointed out in his letter, notice what he says, written out of the wisdom that God gave him. In that letter, as indeed in all his letters, so it's not just one letter, he's talking about all of the letters Paul wrote, he referred to these matters. And there are, of course, some things that are difficult to understand, which unhappily ill-informed, unbalanced people distort, this is what he says in verse 16, as they do the other scriptures and bring disaster on their own head. So here, what you have is Peter, he's giving his testimony to the Old Testament, he's giving his testimony to the writings of Paul as being, uh, as being from God, and he also uh, relates what Paul wrote to the other scriptures. He saw the Old Testament as divinely inspired, and he saw Paul's letters as inspired and authoritative. Now, I bring this up because sometimes we convey this idea, and maybe I've even said this before, that when people were writing what we call the Bible, when the gospel writers were writing it, or when Paul was writing it, that they didn't realize that they were writing the Bible. And on one hand, that's true if you consider the fact that they weren't thinking of a 21st century audience and all these books coming together. But it would be a mistake to think that they did not recognize what they were writing as authoritative. It would be a mistake to, rec to think that they did not recognize as what they were writing 
as God's word. Paul said this in his letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He said, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. I bring that up to show that the apostles who were writing the New Testament, they recognized themselves as speaking with a consciousness of authority and seeing it received authoritatively. Now again, there's hundreds and hundreds of scriptures we could look at that speak to the integrity of God's word, that God's word is true, that God cannot lie, and that show that what we have written is not just someone's ideas. But it's one thing for the Bible to say that about itself. Like you would kind of expect the Bible to say that because it's almost like me saying, trust me because I said so. And I want you to think critically about this for a moment because I believe can I trust the Bible is a valid question. It's a valid question. And I know I said that the Bible is not a history book, it's not a scientific book, it's not a geography book, but the fact remains that whenever God's word touches incidentally on any of these areas, it's always accurate. It's accurate historically, it's accurate scientifically, it's accurate when it speaks to geography. There's never been new editions printed of the Bible that have had to make corrections on errors, had to change some facts about what was said that the Holy Spirit made. Now, we could go down any one of those, but let's just talk about history for a moment. What is the test of good history? Well, one test would be, were there any eyewitnesses? Do we have an eyewitness account? Is it, you know, a first-hand encounter? Or is it a second-hand? Or is this a third-hand? Or is this a legend that was written down hundreds of years later? Well, what you should know is that the Bible is primarily made up of eyewitness accounts. Moses was at the Red Sea. He saw it split. He wrote about it. Joshua was there when the walls of Jericho fell. The disciples were there when Jesus was resurrected. They saw him ascend into heaven. Matthew was there. John was there. Peter was there. Mark was there. Peter told Mark the things that maybe Mark didn't know. That's how we got Mark. Luke, he talked to everybody who was there, made an accurate account. That's how we get the Gospels. The, the test of good history is are there eyewitness accounts, and much of the Bible is an eyewitness account. The other test of history is how we know is what we have accurate. Do we know what we have is accurate? And we know the Bible's accurate because of the extreme care with which the Bible was copied. Sometimes people will say, well, I'm sure like when it was originally written down, it was accurate. But I mean, that was so long ago, so many copies, like how can we really know that what we have? Well, anybody who's ever made that claim has never looked into it. Because I want to talk about this for a moment. The reason they would copy things down in the first place is you have to understand when 
they were writing, they viewed what they were written as the word of God. It was something that was sacred. So when they approached this, it was written on parchment, it was written on papyrus. If you ever had an old book, you know that even the pages begin to turn yellow. Even this Bible here shows its age. So in the same way, the things that they had would not last forever. They took great care to copy it to make sure that, what we, that they would continue to have copies of God's word. Now, the way they did it was like we would Xerox something. It had to be exact. And I want to tell you just a little bit. There, there was an entire ritual to this process. There was an entire, entire profession of copyists dedicated to copying God's word. And when they had a scroll to copy, it's kind of like this background. It was almost like graph paper, meaning it had to have a certain number of columns and a certain number of rows. So when they would copy God's word, it wasn't word for word. It wasn't thought for thought. It was letter for letter, space for space. You could line it up. Every, every copy had to be the exact same number of columns. It could not be, I think it was 30, could not be more than 30 columns. And they were so exact that after they would copy it, they had tests that they had to run it through within 30 days. They knew the exact middle letter of the first five books of the Bible. So they could pinpoint what the middle letter was, and they would count from one end to the other, and if it was off, they would destroy that copy. And when I talk about how they would destroy anything that had error, the other thing that's interesting to note is that they wouldn't destroy the copies that were good. Why? Because they viewed it as God's word. It wasn't to be burned. It wasn't to be thrown away. So they would bury it. That's how so many of these copies are found. And you may think, well, how good are some of these copies? Well, what's interesting is in 1948, there was uh, what's considered one of the greatest archaeological, ar archaeological discoveries of the 20th century. They found the Dead Sea Scrolls. These scrolls contained all of the books that we have in our Old Testament. You might not realize this, but what we call the Old Testament was in its full form when Jesus walked the earth. So they found these Dead Sea Scrolls, and it's a place, we're going to Israel next year as a church. I've been there. We can go there. We can see it if you're going on that trip with us in 2024. You go, they found these Dead Sea Scrolls that were written 100 to 300 years before the life of Jesus. Comparing that with other copies that we had thousand, a thousand year gap between, the difference, 0.5%. 0.5%. And what was the difference on? Spelling of names, spelling of places, punctuation. The vast majority of it. A thousand year gap. Now, I know I took some time to talk about that, but more than anything, the point I'm trying to make about Scripture is that what we believe about Scripture cannot be divorced from what we believe about God. If God is true and trustworthy, His Word is true and trustworthy. Let me take another step. What we believe about Jesus cannot be separated from what we believe about the Bible. Jesus 
affirmed the Bible. Jesus had the highest regard for the authority of Scripture. His doctrine of Scripture as reliable, authoritative, and divine revelation is fundamental to understanding his mission. I want to look at a few verses here, and then we'll wrap up. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said this, Don't think that I've come to destroy the law of Moses or the teaching of the prophets. I've not come to destroy their teaching, but to give full meaning to them. I assure you that nothing will disappear from the law until heaven and earth are gone. The law will not lose even the smallest letter or the smallest part of a letter until it's all been done. Now, what's interesting about this where Jesus is saying, I didn't come to do away with the law and the prophets. He gave this during one of his strongest rebukes of the Pharisees during, during uh, his Sermon on the Mount. Later, when Jesus was in a confrontation with the Pharisees in John 10, he said this, Scripture is always true. They were disagreeing with him on something. He quoted a scripture to them. He says, you know this, Scripture is always true. But the bigger thing I want you to see, and maybe you just want to take a screenshot of this next one, I think we have it, is that Jesus trusted the Bible. He affirmed the prophets. He affirmed Noah. He affirmed Adam and Eve. He affirmed Sodom and Gomorrah. He affirmed Jonah. Why am I showing you this? Because particularly those last four, those are the things that people will sometimes be, ah, I mean, I like Jesus. I believe Jesus. I'm not sure about Jonah. I like Jesus. I'm not sure about Noah. Jesus affirmed these things in Scripture as accurate history. One of the reasons I trust the Bible is because I trust Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to get. This is maybe the, the main point. If you believe in the Bible, what you like, and reject what you don't like, it's not the Bible you trust, but yourself. Let me say that one more time. If you believe in the Bible what you like and you reject what you don't like, it's not the Bible you trust but yourself. When you reject Scripture, what you do is you reject God. Because Christianity presents a truth that is non-negotiable. And I'm going to get into some of these next few weeks, some of maybe the questions you have, well, what about this, or what about this issue, or what does inerrancy mean, or does the Bible, is, it really, is that really true? I'm going to answer some of those questions. But the question you have to ask, maybe the most important question, is what is going to be the authority in my life? Is it going to be the Word, or is it going to be the world? Because our salvation depends on this book being right. 
This is the book that will tell you that your life is not an accident. A history book is not going to do that for you. This is the book that tells you that your life has purpose. A science book is not going to do that for you. This is the book that tells you that God loves you and made you. A book of philosophy, morals, self-help is not going to do that for you. This is the book that tells you you can be forgiven. This is the book that tells you how to know God. This is the book that tells you how to get to heaven. This is the book that tells you how to be saved. This is not an ordinary book. It's a sacred book. It's a holy book. It was written to you, but it is for you. It's not just, do you know what's in it? It's, is this book in you? And I want to take you on a journey over these next few weeks to have such confidence in this that it would be part of your life. A very practical way, a very real way. And that you would have, you, you, you could put your weight on this. You can stand on this. Can I pray for you?